Welcome to the Lead On Podcast. This is Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, talking with you once again about practical issues related to ministry leadership. Well, you may be able to tell on the podcast that I have a pretty heavy cold today, so we're going to do our best to make it through the next 30 minutes, and then if we have a lot of coughing, we'll trust the editors to take that out before you have to listen to this podcast. But today, I want to talk with you about an important issue as we come down to the end of this year and launch a new year, and also as we come through a time of really significant financial uncertainty in our country. It's no news to you that inflation is at record highs and interest rates are going up. Uh, Cost of living is more uh, difficult to manage than it has been in years. So many things going on in the economy that make it really hard on us as ministry leaders, especially uh, younger leaders. I'm really troubled right now particularly about the impact of the economy on young families and young pastors and uh, others who are struggling to try to make it by in this difficult time. So today, I want to talk about foundations for financial security. I want to talk about some very practical things that you can do that will enhance your sense of financial well-being and over the long haul, give you greater financial security. So let's begin with these two great affirmations. Financial security rests on affirming that all we have belongs to God and that God owns everything by creation. This is taught from Genesis to Revelation in the Bible. In Genesis 1-1, the Bible says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And in Revelation 4-11, the Bible says, Our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things, and because of your will they exist and were created. So, you can affirm your financial security rests on affirming that all we have belongs to God because God owns everything by creation from Genesis to Revelation. He owns everything. But then, secondly, God also owns you, and everything about you, if you're a Christian, by redemption. Ephesians 1 7 says, In him we have redemption through his blood. Redemption means purchase back or redeem. And in 1 Corinthians 6 20, the Bible says, For you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God. So we start developing financial security with these great foundational statements. Our financial security rests on affirming that all we have belongs to God because of creation, and all we have belongs to God, including ourselves, because of redemption. God owns everything by creation and redemption. And because of these great truths, we can trust him with our finances and trust him for our financial security. Now, resting on these two foundational convictions are four simple practices, simple to teach, simple to talk about, sometimes not so simple to do. So let's talk about four practices now, which rest on this simple theological foundation that will contribute to your financial security. Number one, your financial security rests on giving more than a tenth of your money back to God. Your financial security actually rests rests on your giving. In Malachi chapter 3, the Bible says, beginning in verse 7, since the days of your ancestors, you have turned from my statutes, you have not kept them. 
Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of armies. Yet you ask, How can we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. How do we rob you, you ask? By not making the payments of the tenth and the contributions. You are suffering under a curse, yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. Bring the full tenth into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of armies. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not ruin the produce of your land and your vine in your field will not fail to produce fruit, says the Lord of armies. Then all the nations will consider you fortunate for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of armies. This passage of scripture in Malachi is the most well-known passage in the Old Testament about tithing. It says clearly that we are not to rob God, but we are to give of our financial resources. And when we do give, we see certain promises made to us in this text and certain warnings that come with it as well. Now, this passage says bring the tenth. So a tithe is a tenth of your income back to God. Now, I'm sometimes asked uh, the legalistic question, well, is that a tenth of your net or a tenth of your gross? In other words, is it a tenth of your income before your taxes and all of those things are taken out or after? And I like the answer that one person once gave when he said, well, that just depends on which part you want God to bless. If you want God to bless the net, give off the net. If you want him to bless the gross, give off the gross. Well, that may have been a flippant kind of a funny answer, but honestly, I don't understand the question. Wouldn't you always want to err on the side of generosity and always err on giving as much as possible to God and to his work? So let's consider our tenth or our tithe to be taken on all that we have or all that we earn before the Lord. And then the Bible says in this passage that giving a tithe of your income assures you of God's provision and of God's protection. Notice what it said in the passage. It said that God was going to open the floodgates of heaven and pour out blessing until there was no more need. God will give provision. And then the passage also says that God will rebuke the devourer. In other words, that which is consuming the produce in the fields, God will stop it. God will rebuke it and keep it from doing that. So we see in these analogies of an open window from heaven and a prevention of a devouring of a field that God promises to tithers that he will both give provision and protection. Now, this has certainly been my experience over the last 40 plus years. When Ann and I got married more than 42 years ago now, we made a commitment to one another and to the Lord that we would never, ever give a tithe of our income. You say, wait a minute, you're advocating for it. Yeah, I'm advocating for it, but as the minimum, not the maximum. So more than 42 years ago, Ann and I made a commitment and we have honored that commitment. And I can tell you without any uh, uh, duplicity or pride or anything really, except just reporting the truth, we haven't missed a month in 42 years of giving at least a tenth of our income or more away to Christian work. And in doing that, God has both provided for us and protected us in so many amazing ways and awesome ways. If I could have time, I could fill up four or five podcasts, I imagine, with all the stories of God's provision, all the ways that God has provided for us in automobiles, furniture, food, and other things 
that have made a tangible difference in our lives. Now, I'd like to be able to tell you more about the protection of God, but quite frankly, a lot of that's been invisible. It's the car wreck I didn't have. It's the house accident that didn't take place. It's God stepping in and protecting me in ways I didn't even know he was working, preventing things from happening to me that would have been financially difficult or even devastating. And so God's provision and God's protection are promised to people who honor him with the tithe. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. You're thinking, oh, that's Old Testament. The New Testament teaches grace giving. Well, the New Testament does teach giving out of God's grace. But I want to remind you of something, and that is that every time in the New Testament that the law of the Old Testament was replaced, it was always fulfilled, meaning it was filled full and exceeded or sated or saturated and then exceeded in what happened in the New Testament. For example, uh, Jesus once said, uh, the, the law says, don't kill. I tell you, don't hold anger in your heart toward someone. Well, that's raising the bar, not lowering it. And so I could go on and on and on with examples like that. Jesus said over and over again that he fulfilled the law, meaning not that he displaced it, but that he maximized it, filled it full, gave it its ultimate meaning, and took it to a higher level. So apply that same thing in the area of giving. I do agree that tithing is an Old Testament concept that's carried over into the New, but it's only carried over into the New Testament as a minimum standard by which we then go beyond that in the grace giving that God gives us the opportunity to do. But today we're talking about financial security. So how does giving away your money make you more financially secure? Well, when you give away your money, as I've already said, God's protection and God's provision become effective in your life. And also, when you give away your money, you open yourselves as a channel to God blessing you in ways you could have never previously imagined. You know, the Bible has an illustration in the Gospels where Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. And it's the idea of a basket being filled with grain and you shake it so that more can go in the basket. And finally, after you've shaken it several times and continue to fill it, the grain just keeps spilling out over the side as you keep pouring it onto the mound that is in the center of that basket's opening. Jesus said, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. And so the first step of financial security is actually a counterintuitive step to the world system in which we live. The world system tells you, if you want to be financially secure, you need to get more. The Bible says, if you want to be financially secure, you need to give more. Because giving opens the channel of God's blessing. Giving brings God's protection and God's provision. And giving enables God to step into our lives and give us resources we never knew existed or were even imaginable. So, step one, make a commitment that your financial security rests on giving more than a tenth of your income away to God and get busy giving it. Now, number two, a second foundation for financial security is is that financial security comes from making and using a spending plan, or what some people call a budget. Proverbs 20, verse 5 says, The plans of the diligent certainly lead to profit, 
but anyone who is reckless only becomes poor. Developing a budget means that you make a plan to live within your means, that you make a plan to live on a margin, and that you make a plan to live out your priorities. Now let's talk about those things for just a moment because some people don't like budgeting because they feel like it's restrictive or it keeps them from having fun or it keeps them from being able to do what they want. That's not true. A properly prepared budget reflects your priorities right now in your life. So every year, Ann and I sit down about this time of year and we have a conversation about our budgeting plan for the following year. But we don't start with talking about assigning this amount of money to this thing or this amount of money to that thing. We start by talking about what do we hope to accomplish this next year? What are our top priorities for the upcoming year? And some years that is, well, we need to buy a car. Or some years that is, we want to go on a trip. Or some years that priority is we need to fix something on our house. Or some years the priority is we need to pay for an edu- another degree or some aspect of education. But every year we first start out by talking about what are our priorities. Now, for us, a big part of our priorities is giving, and so we also talk about where we're going to give money this year. What's our priority in giving? Do we want to give to our church or to a missions organization or to somebody that we know that's planting a church or to something else related perhaps to the seminary? Where do we want to give the money this next year? Now, this discussion of priorities is foundational to budgeting being a positive process. Because once you establish your priorities, then you say, now, what is it going to take financially to accomplish each of these priorities? Then you start allocating the money that you have to each one of them uh, in the way that you want it allocated. Now, that means that you're actually going to be spending your money on the things that are most important to you. So when you decide we're going to live within our means, we're going to live on a margin, which means we're going to budget the amount of money that we actually have, and we're going to budget to have some cushion built into our financial plan so that we live on a margin, and we're going to budget according to our priorities, that gives you great confidence that you're actually going to live out what is really most important to you, and you're actually going to be spending money on the things that really do matter to you. Now, living on a budget doesn't have to be onerous or difficult. You simply sit down, Talk about your priorities and then assign some dollar values to those priorities and then make sure that you spend those monies first every month. That means not only do you have to make a plan, but you have to work your plan. So budgeting doesn't, uh, it doesn't work and isn't effective if you just put it in a binder or on a spreadsheet or something like that. No, you got to actually work the plan. Now, in our family, we have these budgeting priority conversations at the end of every year and the beginning of every new year. We sort of lay out for the for ourselves what we hope to accomplish in the next year and make a realistic plan to do that month by month. And then it becomes my responsibility in our family to manage that cash flow and to manage those bill-paying opportunities and to manage those purchasing moments so that we do fulfill that which we've said we're going to. Now, even though I do most of the money management in our home, Uh, That doesn't mean Anne doesn't have the privilege of spending money and doesn't have certain funds that she's responsible for and doesn't have certain things she's accountable to to make sure get paid. We, We share in that, but I do carry the bulk of the load. 
Now, whoever does it in your family and however you manage it, if you want to lower the conflict level about money in your relationship, just start out by establishing really good priorities so that when money is spent, there's not a lot of second guessing about why did we spend that? Why was that important? Who agreed to that? Why did we why did we spend that money? No, when you're spending it on pre-agreed to priorities, there's a lot less conflict that's going to come in the relationship and in the conversation because of what was done with the resources. So budgeting, yes, it can be a little difficult until you get the hang of it, until you learn how to do it well. But remember, budgeting is not first about allocating dollars. It's first about establishing priorities. Once you've established those, then you allocate the dollars, and then you follow through on your plan and spend the money for those purposes. And as you talk about it and share life around those commitments, you'll have an enriching experience of, of dealing with money, not a divisive experience of dealing with money. All right, let's go on to the third uh, step or the third foundation for financial security, and that is financial security involves investing in a get-rich-slow scheme. <laughs> A get-rich-slow scheme. Now, I know most people want to find a get-rich-fast scheme, but there aren't very many of those out there. So what is a get-rich-slow scheme? Well, Proverbs 12:11 describes it. It says, The one who works his land will have plenty of food, but whoever chases fantasies lacks sense. So a get-rich-slow scheme is a person who works their land, a person who takes the time to, to uh, plow and plant and weed and water, believing that over time they will have plenty. But again, the end of the proverb, but the one who chases fantasies lacks sense. Now I'll talk about this more in just a moment, but the person who chases fantasies is the one who's gambling on sports, playing the lottery, are counting on an inheritance or something like that to bring them the resources they need. That's what the Bible means by chasing fantasies and lacking sense. But instead, we have to learn to invest in a get-rich-slow scheme and watch the power of that transform us over time. Now, a get-rich-slow scheme has three very simple steps. Number one, save. Save. Spend less than you make and save some money. Second, invest. Now, you may need some help to do this, but there are lots of places that you can get that kind of help to make simple investment decisions. Uh, if you're using an organization to invest your money, like in retirement or something like that, they'll typically have investment plans and investment um, policies, and they'll take care of all that for you. But if you're doing, the, doing it yourself, just make sure that you invest very carefully and very wisely the resources that you've been entrusted. So save, invest, and here's the third step, wait. Just wait. It's time going by that raises the value of money in most cases. Now, I've been a homeowner for about 40 years. The first home we bought was very modest. We put every dollar we could scrape together to, uh, into that house in buying it. We improved it. We refinanced it. We sold it. And we made a nice bit of income. We took that and bought a second house. 
lived in it for about a dozen years and saw the value of it appreciate significantly while we were living in that home, sold it, built another house. Now, the third house we only lived in for a short time. We thought it was going to be our long-term house, but it turned out to be a short-term house as we left there to come to the Gateway Seminary. But So that house did not change in value very much from the time we built it till the time we sold it. Then we came to Southern California. I went to the seminary in Northern California for a while, of course, but then ultimately came to Southern California and bought another home. Now, when I look back over the last 40 years, I see that I had a little bit of money and I bought a very modest home. But over the last 40 years, that amount of money and the value of the home that I have has grown exponentially. Now, part of that, of course, has been living in California, but it's been true really of any place in the United States that this kind of homeownership, save, invest, wait, has produced significant financial uh, strength. Now, this is also true about things like your retirement fund, IRAs, and other kinds of investment vehicles. There's very few of those that are get-rich-fast, but many of those can be get-rich-slow schemes. So, the Bible says the one who works his land, his land will have plenty of food. You want to have plenty of food? You want financial stability? You want to be secure? It says work your land. Save, invest, and wait. So, we've talked about three steps to financial security today. Giving more than a tenth of your income, making and using a spending plan, and investing in a get-rich-slow scheme. Now, here's the final one. Financial security is preserved when you avoid sin taxes. Proverbs 12, 3 says, Man cannot be made secure by wickedness. Man cannot be made secure by wickedness. So what are some of the ways that we pay sin tax and it takes away our money? Well, perhaps the most prevalent one in America today is gambling. I am astounded at how many people buy lottery tickets every week, bet on sports every week, or otherwise gamble the resources that they've earned. This is what I call a sin tax. It's you paying a tax, if you will, because you're participating in sinful behavior. There are others, though, besides gambling. Uh, immorality can be very expensive. The medical costs associated with an immoral lifestyle, the costs uh, that might come from uh, various aspects of that are staggering. Uh, as you discover or as your immorality, your adultery, your fornication, whatever is discovered, alimony, child support, legal expenses, all these things come into play. Divorce, separate households, you get the idea. And then there's just even destructive habits that drain us financially. I'm astounded, for example, at the amount of money that people will pay for one alcoholic beverage. And so whether it's drugs or alcohol, cigarettes or something else, if you're spending money on something that's destroying you physically, creating additional medical bills for you, and otherwise stripping you financially, then of course you want to stop those things if you want to find greater financial security. So financial security means avoiding sin taxes, things like gambling, immorality, adultery, and other destructive habits. Now, on the podcast today, we've talked about a foundation that God owns everything by creation and redemption, and that because of that, we can trust him with our, uh, for our physical resources. 
And then we've talked about four strategies that you can implement to enhance your financial security. Give away more than the tithe. Make and use a spending plan based on your personal priorities and spending priorities. And then uh, invest in a get-rich-slow scheme, either homeownership or retirement fund or maybe a combination of both and any other resources you can find that will put you on a path toward ultimate financial security as you invest in a get-rich-slow scheme. And then finally, financial security is preserved when you avoid sin taxes. Just not paying out for things that really are only designed to hurt you financially. Well, as we come to the end of this, I want to say just a couple of encouraging words to those of you who are especially younger families. You're probably listening to this podcast and you're thinking, yeah, Jeff, that all makes sense for you because you make a good income and you've been uh, doing this for a long time and you're past the difficult years of paying for college, paying for braces, raising children, all that kind of thing. Boy, that is all so true. But listen carefully. I put all these principles into place that I'm talking to you about more than 40 years ago. And the reason that we've come to the place where we are today financially is not by our ingenuity or uh, by something that we've accomplished that was, un, that was uh, like a big secret or not, not some special program we went into or not some investment we got hooked up with that nobody else knew about. No, none of that. The financial strength and stability we have today is based on the realities of what I've talked about on the podcast today. And doing those things incrementally and slowly and carefully over time has produced a level of financial security I could only dream about as a child. You know, I didn't grow up in a wealthy family. Uh, I grew up in a working class family. Uh, I grew up in uh, not poverty by any means, but I grew up in some challenging circumstances with some tough days. I never have had a big inheritance. I've never had anyone take care of me financially or or promise to step in and do anything like that for me. It just hasn't happened that way. But God has taken care of us. God has more than been more than able to take care of us, bless us, supply us, and give us the grace we needed to enjoy all that he's done for us. So here's what I want to say to you today. Don't say, oh, financial security, I don't make enough. I'm too young. That doesn't fit me. I don't really think it'll work. Instead, no matter who you are, what state of life you're in, what kind of income you have, put these principles into practice now and establish them as life patterns. And as 30, 40 years go by, you'll be astounded at how God will take care of you financially. God owns everything. By creation and redemption, you belong to him. Therefore, everything you touch, everything you have, everything you produce belongs to God. So give him more than a tithe of your income. Make a spending plan based on the priorities of your faith and what you really believe is important. Make sure that you are invested in a get-rich-slow scheme, trusting that over time things will be right. And finally, avoid sin taxes. Just stop doing dumb things that drain you financially and leave you wondering where you're going to make it or how you're going to make it next time. Well, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. This 
lesson has been on financial security for leaders and for individuals, some of these same principles apply, of course, in corporate settings and in church settings. You can put these into practice organizationally to also make a difference in your organization over the long haul. Now, organizations don't typically give tithes, but they do typically give and invest in the lives of others. But organizations definitely, organizations definitely need to have a spending plan and invest in get-rich-slow schemes and avoid sin taxes or things that are just draining them financially that really don't produce or contribute to the mission. Root those things out both personally and corporately, and you will find yourselves on a, yourself on a path to greater financial stability. Thanks for listening today. Put these things into practice as you lead on.